Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some stories are profound, challenging, and emotional, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. All of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, a different woman shares her story, often in a live setting, with the bottom line being that God is good. We're so glad you've joined us today to hear Melissa's story of how God's light broke through the darkness that settled around her after her two-year-old son was diagnosed with cancer. She'll also share how God has taught her to live out each day, not in worry or in fear, but in joy and peace. And that's something we can all hear and relate to. I also want you to be sure to visit our website, storytellerslive.org, where you can download a free PDF custom designed scripture card. At our weekly local storytellers gatherings, we often pass out a card with either a Bible verse or a quote that's included in our speaker's talk that's just a powerful reminder of their story. And one of our team members, Don, who is super talented, custom designs these cards and prints them out. And so we want to make those available for you. So just be sure to go to our website, storytellerslive.org, and go to our show notes, and you'll be able to click on the link to download this free PDF custom card. All right, let's get started with Melissa's story. Here she is. Good morning. Um, This is very strange. (laughs) I'm going to pretend that I'm sitting in my living room that is not nearly this beautiful and just talking to my friends. Um, And a lot of you I do know, and a lot of you are my friends, and some of you I don't. But I do want to say that for those of you who know my family story, whether it's because you know me or because you followed along, on our social media stuff and the ways that we've prayed for my son, um, this is going to be a little bit different. I want to tell about what it was that happened that changed the course of our life, but I really want to share about how I dealt with it personally, because that's not something that's really been out there. That's something that's been a little uh, held close for me. And I think it's something that's powerful because it's my story, but it's not really my story. It's, it's God's story because to be able to walk through what I've walked through and to still be standing and standing in front of y'all smiling and telling my story, that's not of me. Um, it's just not. So I know that you won't be able to identify with the specifics of my story, and I'm glad for that. But um, can't we all be impacted by a really rich story of God's faithfulness in a dark time and that's really what it is. So very quick backstory. Born and raised in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, believing parents, very close with them and my brother still to this day. I came to be a believer somewhere between the fifth and sixth grade, like the awkward early junior high years. <laughs> was really involved in my church, went on mission trips, was in Bible studies, all of that kind of thing. After I graduated, I moved to Birmingham and I went to Sanford, which I love. There's a bunch of Sanford people in here right now. And uh, again, had a great time, had a great college experience, but had plenty of opportunities to learn about God. Um, Had a lot of Christian influences in my college life as well. Then fast forward a little bit, and I moved to Atlanta for just a brief stint, like literally two weeks after I graduated, (laughs) and ended up getting the job I wanted, so I moved back to Birmingham and settled here. And uh, I loved the job. It was orthopedic and sports medicine sales. It was a super competitive industry, a lot of guys, and then me. And it was very tough, but I really liked it. It was all about people, and I loved that. 
I was involved at church. I was a member of Briarwood Presbyterian and um, involved in the Sunday school class. And through that, got plugged into a small group um, that I'm still in to this day. It's been like 90 years that we're still meeting (laughs) every Monday night. um, We look like we're 90, not really. But my point in y'all knowing my backstory is just that I was a believer. I had people pouring into me at every stage of my life, whatever it looked like. If it was Sunday school when I was little, if it was Bible studies in high school, I just, I had that. Um, And so by all measure, I mean, I was a good Christian girl, but in retrospect, I think that my faith was actually really shallow and um, it was kind of like I knew the truth and it was in my heart. But my senses were dulled, sort of like I was kind of asleep, if that makes sense. I knew that God was all I needed, but my life had not been hard. And so I didn't really think I needed anything. So fast forward a little bit further, and I meet my husband, Chris, and we get married. Um, He is a marriage and family counselor in Birmingham. And so he's starting his private practice, which, by the way, it's really fun to be married to a marriage and family counselor when there's a disagreement in the house. That's a a whole nother storyteller session. (laughs) But um, we get pregnant with our first child, Walker, and I'd always wanted to stay home. My mom stayed home. It's just something I wanted to do. And, um, you know, when you're starting a new business, it takes a little bit for the legs to get under it. So it was not the time for for me to be staying home. So I continued working. So those expectations just kind of got pushed off to the side. Fast forward two more years, and we're pregnant with our son, Paxton. And at that point, the job that had been um, competitive and fun had turned into very high pressure, very high stress, just not a good situation anymore and something I needed to get out of. So we made the decision that I would work up until my leave, go on my leave, and then on the day that I was supposed to go back that I would just tell him I wasn't coming back. So on that day, I am standing in my kitchen and I'm about to pick up the phone to call him. And I look and there's like an invitation to a teleconference. And I was like, oh, seriously, okay. So the kids are upstairs and I was like, I gotta go somewhere, but you know, they can't hear the kids. So I go down to the basement, I'm standing there in my pajama pants. I'm like, all right, so I call the number and there's only one other person on the line when I get on there, which is not normal. There's usually like a thousand people. And she says, I'm the new human resources director for your company. And um, you've, we've been acquired by other owners, and I'm so sorry to tell you, but we're consolidating, and we've eliminated your territory. Silence. And then she says, um, thank you for your 10-plus years of service. Uh, we're going to be giving you a severance package that includes health insurance benefits for the next several months. Silence. <laughs> so... I'm sure she thinks I am devastated and my job, I've I've lost my job. And really, I was like, phone down, doing a little dance. You've saved me from the breakup conversation. And I'm walking away with something in my pocket that I did not have before. Um, And if you just waited a minute, you could have walked away from me free and clear. But... So at the time, I just thought it was cool. But in reality, it was, I didn't realize it was God providing for me in a very specific way. And I just didn't understand that. Um, I love the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible. And you may know it, and if you don't, super Cliff Notes version. Zacchaeus was very, very short, and everybody else was very, very tall. And Jesus is walking by, and he wants to see him, but he can't see over all the tall people. So he runs down the path, and he sees this beautiful tall tree, and he climbs up in the tree, and he can see Jesus. And the illustration is, you've got this tree, and before Zacchaeus could not see Jesus, the tree was planted to meet the need. 
And for me, that was just one example of a way that Jesus was meeting a need that I did not yet know that I had. Um, so at that point, you know, I'm thinking, I'm staying at home. This is awesome. I'm going to go to lunch with my friends and their kids. We're going to the zoo. We're going to the library. I'm going to the gym and putting those kids in daycare. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> I just had all these great expectations. I knew it was going to be stressful, but in a different way. I was just really glad to shed the corporate stress that I've been dealing with for a while. Uh, fast forward a month, and um, that's when the switch kind of flipped for our family. It was December 8th. It was a Saturday, and we had friends and their kids over to watch football at our house. And Walker, who was two at the time, was just not acting himself. He was sitting in my lap, not wanting to play, not wanting to snack on everything in the room. And he had a really low-grade fever. I mean, truly, like, hardly a fever, 99 degrees. And he had a couple of dots on his um, wrists and his ankles. We gave him some Tylenol and put him to bed. Um, Wasn't really that worried about it. Woke up the next morning, same kind of thing. Um, He ate a little bit, but still kind of low-grade fever, a little more dots, not many. So uh, it was a Sunday, and my husband was on deacon duty. I was like, you go. I'll hang back with the kids since Walker's not feeling well. Really was not worried at all. And I ended up calling my pediatrician's office just to talk to the nurse, just to tell her what was going on, to see what she thought. And she said, the only thing concerning to me is the dots. Just because I can't see them, it's hard for me to understand what you're saying. And it's Sunday and we're closed. So you can either come in tomorrow to our office or you can run down to Children's, which is only like 12 minutes away, and they can just look because there's nurses that are at the front desk. So I was like, great, that's that's what we'll do. So I put the baby in the pumpkin seat. He's in the car. Walker's in the car. And I'm looking and I'm like, I'm running down there, turn around and coming right back. There's really not a reason to change out of my pajama pants. <laughs> so if you're recognizing a theme, I'm often wearing pajama pants during big moments of my life, which is a problem. Um, but so we're down at the hospital and the nurse, I remember, looked at Walker and looked at me and said, does he always look like this? And I was like, does he always look like what? And I looked down at his face and the color was completely gone from his face. And the dots that were few were now many and were starting to cover him. And uh, we're back in the room and there's an IV in this arm and there's an IV in that arm. And the baby's in the corner in the pumpkin seat, thankfully sleeping. And I'm on the phone calling Chris and you've got to get here. Mm-hmm. So he arrives and... Um, I'm laying in the hospital bed with Walker, who finally was calm, and he's twirling his blonde hair, and he's got his pacifier in. And uh, the doctor came in the room and said, leukemia. And um, I remember that he continued to talk after that because I could see his mouth moving, but I did not hear anything after that word. I feel like um, everything just kind of got hazy. I look over at my husband who's sitting on the couch, and he's so sweet and steady, and he's nodding, and he's listening and taking it in. And I had to excuse myself from the room. At this point, a couple of friends had arrived to help with the baby, and um, but they didn't know how serious it was. And so they're out in the hall pushing the baby back and forth in the stroller, and I walk out, and my eyes meet theirs, and um, they said, what? And I said, my baby has leukemia. And I just kind of crumbled onto the floor in the middle of the hallway. And I remember that the nurse and my friends gathered me, and we got into a different room, and they're comforting me. And and I looked at the nurse, and I said, are we saying that this is going to be terrible and long, but he's going to be okay? Or are we saying that this is going to be terrible and long, and we don't know if he's going to be okay? And she looked at me with the most kind and understanding eyes, and you could tell she was sorry to impart this information, but she said, we don't know. Um, and so that's kind of, that's the devastation point. Um, 
that I can say confidently <clears throat> up until this point was the worst day of my life. And even though I was in that moment of my greatest nightmare, something happening to my child that could take him from me that I had no ability to stop, I still had a knowledge that God was good. I didn't really know what that meant, and it seemed a little crazy to feel that way, but I felt like this situation is awful, but God is good. Take another step. Keep going. So everything kind of happened fast after that point. We didn't leave the hospital. Walker got a port put in his chest um, a couple of days later and started chemo the next day. we left the hospital when he was finally stable enough um, after about 10 days. And I remember that we're coming home, and it should be a great thing to leave the hospital, and it was. But then as we started to pull into our drive, the heaviness of what was happening kind of settled on my chest. And I looked at Chris, and I, he was like, what's wrong? And I said, this is not the same home that we left. This is not the same life that we left. Like, what do we do now? Um, I mean, 10 days earlier at that point, I was making some tailgate-type appetizers for friends to watch football, and now I was sending out prayer requests to my friends, and the top prayer request was, Lord, preserve Walker. Um, You know, in Psalms, Lord, let me live that I may praise you. And I'm like, I'm praying these things for my two-year-old child. This is crazy. Expectations of life just kind of crumbling around me. The first 29 days were the most intense. Um, He was getting steroid therapy. He was getting um, chemo every week and all kinds of medicines at home. And for those of you who are not familiar with what steroids do to a child, if anybody tries to give some for your child, like knock it out of their hands and run away. He was angry and he gained a lot of weight. And the food, you guys, he wanted to eat anything he could get his hands on, but he was very specific about what he wanted and he wanted it yesterday. And it wasn't it wasn't donuts and it wasn't pizza. It was weird. It was like, I want yellow rice and black beans. And we were like, okay, like we're going to try to meet, meet that need for you, buddy, that request. Um, it was the craziest time, but... After the 29 days, um, thankfully, he did go into remission, and I would like to say that we were done, but because leukemia is a blood cancer, which means it can be anywhere in your body where there is blood, um, the uh, protocol for treatment is very long. It was actually ended up being three years and four months of chemotherapy. So um, the first year was definitely, along with that 29 days, the most intense, and we were in and out of the hospital for treatments every week, and he was sedated often and had you know lumbar punctures and chemo in his spine, and um, we would have to stay at the hospital sometimes for four or five days because the treatment was so rough they had to monitor the rest of his body to make sure that he was okay. Um, he did end up losing his hair. I know that's kind of the hallmark of people who go through chemotherapy, but he held on to it for eight months, which is not the way it usually goes. He had the thickest blonde. I mean, it's still the hair he has now. Um, crazy hair. And we never cut it after he got sick because we're like, that's it. I mean, we're probably going to lose it. So we just got longer and longer. And it went up and not down. And, um, and I remember one day, I mean, kids being so resilient, they are, even with chemotherapy. He was running down the hall of, we call it eight quarterback. That's on the quarterback tower of children's eight floors, the oncology floor. And he was running down the hall. And we were chasing him, trying to keep up with the IV pole. Like, wait, wait, wait. And the doctors would see him run by, and the ones that didn't know him would say, who is that and what does he have? Um, Because you don't see a kid running with that much hair on the oncology floor. So it did fall out, um, and it was a hard day. But to be honest, uh, he's real cute without hair. This is one. Sorry. Um, One 
of the other hardest things about his treatment was that the chemotherapy knocks out the good with the bad. And so he lost his immune system, which meant that we completely lived in a bubble for a very long time. And it wasn't a week or two weeks. I mean, it was it was years. Um, it was years. And so think about me as the, I get to stay home. I'm going out with my friends. I'm going to live in community with other people who have young kids. And we're going to do stuff all day long, and it's going to be awesome. Think about that, and then think about what actually happened. So the absolute opposite, pretty much. It wasn't like, oh, I didn't turn out the way I thought. It was the absolute opposite of what I thought was going to happen. So I went from being a full-time working mom with one child in daycare to being a stay-at-home mom of two and full-time cancer caregiver who was completely isolated. I think that I had probably never been more thought about, loved, and prayed for, but I had also never been so lonely. And that was just a really difficult time. I mean, that was one of those things where the weight of all of what I thought life was going to look like truly not just a little bit off, but crumbling and on the floor around me. It was, it was a very heavy burden. So I want to shift gears at this point, And now is when I want to talk about kind of how I dealt with it. I was all over the place. Um, there were days that I was jumping up in the air, praise God, another answered prayer, another good report. You know, thank you God for the way you're walking Walker and us through this trial. But there were other days, um, you know, just in complete transparency that I was angry. I was really angry with God and very, very sad. You know, things like, God, he's a child. He is a two-year-old child. Um, please don't do this to him. Or even um, let me take his place or to the point of, God, I know that you can change people's lives and you can bring people to you through struggles and trials. Uh, but find another way. Don't do this through my two-year-old child. I think that I knew that God was good. I deeply knew that God was good, but it didn't always feel like it. It just didn't always seem fair. And I see the image, um, and I think y'all can understand this. I think anybody who has a child has been this person. The mom holding the two-year-old's hand that is trying to get away. Um, The child is flailing. The child is like falling down like a limp noodle, doing anything they can do to make it clear I do not like what's happening right now. And that was me. I mean, I feel like Jesus is standing there holding my hand, and I'm flailing, and I'm fighting, and I'm falling. And he is like, do what you have to do. I'm not going to let go. I will be here when you're finished. And that was so powerful to me because it was the freedom to wrestle with God. It was okay to wrestle with God over this loss. Um loss of what I thought my life was going to be. I'm grieving the expectations for what I thought my life would be and what I thought my son's life would be. And it was okay to wrestle with God, especially knowing that there was a difference between being sad and having despair, because being sad was being brokenhearted over my circumstances. But having despair was to be brokenhearted and have no hope. And I had hope. So there was a difference for me. I want to talk to you all for a second about um, Lamentations. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back. I'm sorry. Um, I wanted to talk about John 11:35. 35. 
shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Two words, very simple. But why did Jesus weep? Um, well, he wept, he wept for a few reasons, but the one of the first reasons that comes to mind, Lazarus is somebody that he loves, and Lazarus is dying. And his two sisters, Mary and Martha, they, they, they send word to Jesus, like, Lazarus is dying, your beloved is dying. Like, come, come and help us. Save him. Um, and Jesus doesn't come. And he finally comes, and Lazarus has already died. And the sisters come out to meet him in the street, Mary specifically, and she falls on the ground in front of him. And she said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Kind of like, where were you? Why didn't you come? And Jesus weeps like he, he, he wept. And that's me. I'm standing in front of Jesus. And I'm like, why does my two year old child have leukemia? Like, why are we doing this? And Jesus weeps. I I don't get the answer to my why. I don't get the reason. But I get my Savior weeping in front of me because he's compassionate. And ultimately because he weeps because the world is broken and because it breaks his heart that his people have to go through pain because of the broken world. And that was a really big turning point for me because it became less a picture of God watching me walk through this with my son and it became God walking with me and it became him making a way before me um, and providing what I needed moment by moment to get through it and that's kind of when I started to really understand who God was in the situation Uh, Lamentations 3 has a series of verses that are Amazing and just life giving to me. And I think a lot of people recognize and have always heard the, you know, he is um, the compassions and his mercies are new every morning part of it, which is a great part. But when you add the verse before it and the word, the verse after it, it is just like a power punch, kind of like a, a blueprint for me of how to walk through the really hard, the really tough struggle that whatever it is that I'm going through. And I want to share with you guys. It's been in my mind forever and watch me stumble over it today and not remember it. Um, But it's, and this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. I am not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. First off, um, because of the Lord's great love, I'm not consumed. I can't tell you how easy it was for me to be consumed walking through my child having cancer. The opportunities were really around every corner. Um, But to really have the knowledge that because of the Lord's great love, I don't have to be. And it's not even that I don't have to be. It's saying because of his love, I am not consumed and how powerful that is. That's how powerful God's love is, that I can stand there in the midst of my child having poison, in effect, running through a tube into his chest and say, I am not consumed. Um, And how does his love manifest itself that he gives to me? It's through the compassions and the new mercies. I mean, some nights I was like, hold on till you could go to bed, wake up tomorrow, there will be new mercies tomorrow. Just wait. And the mercies came through friends bringing a meal and through neighbors putting bows on the mailboxes. So I had a physical reminder that I was prayed for and um, people taking care of the baby when he couldn't be with us through Walker's treatment. And random people that I'd never known before walking up to me and telling me, I'm praying for your child. How incredibly humbling. You don't even know me and you're praying for my child. Um, And then the last part, the Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. He is all that I need. He truly is my portion, even in these places where it turns out I actually do need a lot. It's not like at the beginning where I thought I don't really need much. I actually do have a great need. And he is my portion. I will wait for him. 
But what I really love about these verses, and it's, it's not just who God is and what he does, it's what I have to do. It's, and this I call to mind. I have to remember it. I have to, and I'm, when I'm standing in the moment that's so hard, I have to remember it. I have to call these verses to mind. They're not just sitting there and I'm like, yep, I got it all together and I'm not consumed. I mean, I have to, I have to remember it. And at the end, um, let's see, compassion is never fail. They're a new every morning. Great is our faithfulness. I say to myself, um, the Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. This does not mean I'm immune from the fear and the worry and the anxiety, but it does mean that when it happens, I can say to myself, the Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. And it blows the fear out of the water. I mean, it does not mean that 10 minutes later, I maybe don't have to say it one more time, but he gives me what I need in the moment I need it. Everybody has that song in their house that it changes sometimes, but it's the song that if their child plays it one more time, they're going to jump out the window. I mean, at one point it was like, let it go. Um, Occasionally it's the all Spanish version, so they don't know what's happening of Despacito now. Um, But for me, and I kind of feel guilty saying this because it's a beautiful song. However, it's Oceans by Hillsong. If that song is played in my car one more time, I really have, I, I thought about like throwing the CD out the window and be like, I don't know what happened to it. Um, the tune drives me crazy because it's overplayed, to say the least, um, in my house. But the words are beautiful and they strike a chord with me. But they're also something that I kind of think is sort of funny because if you think about the song, it's a person singing. If you're singing the song, you're praying that the Spirit will lead you where your trust is without borders, which sounds like a good thing. And then skipping a bit further, it says, take me deeper than my feet would ever wander, that my faith would be made stronger. Um, you know, I think about that and I'm like, God, I really did not mean <laughs> that I wanted to go deeper. I, let's go back shallow. Let's go back to the shallow. That would be great. Because I mean, there's a reason that we don't want to be deeper than our feet would wander in the ocean. I mean, most of us don't like to go past our knees because of sharks these days. You don't know what's out there. It's terrifying. And you have no control over where you're going to go. You were just out there at the whim of not your own control. And guys, my family lives at a depth where we cannot touch. But the funny thing is, we always did. I just didn't really realize it. I always thought that even though I was in the water, I had my foot in the sand and God directs my steps, but I can kind of propel myself this way or that way or kind of turn a little bit. I had a false sense of control. There is no control. Uh, And when you're out in this terrifying place and you truly have nothing else to stand on and nothing else to grab, there is only God. It is such an amazing place that's beautiful of trusting him and a place where faith deepens um, just in an unparalleled way than any other thing. Um, And I just think that I don't... I said before that I feel like I was kind of asleep before, and now I feel like I'm awake. <laughs> I don't like the way I woke up. It was so abrupt and um, painful. But now that I'm awake, I don't want to go back to sleep. I don't, I don't wish this trial away. I wish my son did not have to go through it. But I don't want the growth that I've had personally and what I've realized and the perspective I've gained to go away. 
uh, one more thing I wanted to say about that is just that I think it can kind of paint the picture of, you know, God saved me. He, he helped me survive, which to me imparts the picture of a person that is not drowning but has their head above the water. And that wasn't it. I mean, I was truly drawn out of the deep water. I mean, we, were, we weren't just surviving. I mean, we were living, and we were living joyfully. I mean, if, if you have any experience knowing Walker, I mean, he spent the last year of his treatment going to kindergarten with the rest of the five- and six-year-olds and playing sports. I mean, he would go and have chemotherapy and come home in the afternoon and put his little port protector on under his underarm shirt and go out of baseball practice. He really was living joyfully being a normal kid. And in turn, I was able to start doing that as well. God was really sweet. Um, this one specific sweet way that I always like to mention because it's very powerful to me. Chris and I had always thought that we wanted three kids. He came from a family of four. I just had one brother. But when Walker got sick, like literally that day, I remember thinking, I mean, I guess that's out the window. I mean, how... How do we have another child in the midst of this child fighting this? Like we can't even we can't even keep the baby right now. The baby's with I don't even I can't even keep track of where the baby is this week. Um, what if what if Walker doesn't beat this? Um, what if this baby gets sick too? And so we had decided I, I guess we can't do it, and um, we didn't want to make the decision out of fear. And after time. We ended up deciding, you know what, we're going to leave it up to God. And if we're not supposed to have a baby, then we will not have a baby. And about a year later, we're expecting our son, Finley. And if you know me at all and you've seen me with Finley, always holding him, always holding sweet, blonde-headed Finley. And that's because a friend had emailed me this verse right before we were trying with Finley. And um, I always forget about where it is. It's in Joel. And it says, I will restore the years the locusts ate. And y'all, when that baby came, um, that baby is restoration. He is a tangible example of God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises to my family. And so if if you see me holding him a little too much, just know that he is my restoration baby. <laughs> and I just adore that child. Um, just to wrap it up, the Lamentations first, like I said. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to show you a picture of Walker now. What am I saying? Walker is, um, Walker finished his treatment in April and um, had his port taken out and we celebrated no mo chemo. <laughs> uh, and he's a first grader at West, and he plays, what season is it? What sport is it now? Soccer. And he'll play basketball, and he'll play baseball. Um, and you would never know that anything is wrong with him or anything ever was. This is Walk Now. I told you all about the Lamentations verse and how that really is kind of my life verse, and uh, just because it's, gosh, that verse is everything. And I have these cards made up for you, thanks to Don for helping me make them. And I want you all to have them because somebody had given me a portion of this verse right when Walker got sick. And it sat in a little frame in the hospital. And I brought it with me everywhere I went. Every night it was with me. And now it sits on the left side of my sink. So every time I wash my hands, I'm staring at this verse. Um, and it's something I still have to go to. I mean, I would love to say that our story is wrapped up in a little box and up on the shelf, but Walker's leukemia was classified as high risk of relapse when he was diagnosed. And so, you know, every month we go to the hospital and they draw his blood and they check and they tell us if everything's okay. We're actually going on Monday. Um, and the day before, specifically the night before, after I put the kids to bed, the fear and the anxiety, it creeps back in. And... I go back to this verse, and I speak directly into the fear, and I pray, I'm not consumed. You are my portion. I wait for you. And my hope is just that, like I said, I know y'all can't identify with the specifics of my story, but when you're in that moment, 
and the expectations are on the floor around you if it's that your child is having a difficult time and that's not how you thought that would go or you're in a period of waiting, whatever that looks like, and it's just not what you wanted or that your marriage is maybe not the way you thought it was going to look. Um, I just hope that you would go back to this verse and remember that you don't have to be consumed and that if you'll just call it to mind that the Lord is your portion, just wait for him. Thanks for joining us for Storytellers today. And before we wrap up, I just wanted to share some advice that Melissa gave at our local gathering when we had a quick question and answer session. Someone had asked how they could encourage or comfort a friend or a neighbor who's going through a really difficult time. You know, what can we say? What should we not say? What should we do? How can we help? And Melissa's answer was great. And I think it's very helpful and something that we need to spread um, to everyone because our first inclination is to want to fix the problem or throw a Bible first at them or tell them everything's going to be fine. But really in those initial moments, in those first few days, they're not ready to receive that. And while God's word is still true and it's still good, there's a time to deliver those truths to them. And Melissa shared that initially what was most comforting to them was just hearing the words, I am so sorry, I'm hurting with you, and we're praying for you. And as tempting as it might be to want to justify the situation or put a positive spin on it, thinking that we're providing them hope, what really ministers to their soul is just validating their pain, letting them know that we're going to walk through the valley with them and we're going to be there for them. And it is the physical acts of service. It's being present. It's bringing meals and just being there to support them. That really conveys the love of Christ most to them. It's being the body of Christ. And then there's a time later to bolster their faith with scripture and with God's truth. Well, that's it for this week, but we hope that you'll join us again soon. There are so many more stories to be told. And if you want to find out more information or like we said before, to access and download your free scripture card, just visit StorytellersLive.org. See you soon.